Welcome to the North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 17. We're going to get there in just a moment. Luke chapter 17. I came across a story uh, a while back about a little girl. She was uh, three years old from France, and her name was Marie And this little girl was awarded the bronze medal for an act of courage and dangerous sacrifice. And what happened was, is she was at the municipal pool and and her little friend, Dennis, um, had fallen in. And when he had fallen in, he was floundering and and she runs over to the edge, this little three-year-old girl, the only one who sees him, runs over to the edge, reaches into the pool, grabs a handful of hair and pulls her her little friend up above the water. And she's not strong enough to get him all the way out, but she's holding his head above the water and she's screaming for help. She's, she's begging somebody to come in and help her. And so, and so she holds him up above the water long enough for adults and parents to, to rush over, to scoop him up and to get him out of the water. And she was awarded this, this bronze medal for her bravery and courage under pressure and um, all of that stuff. She was a legitimate hero saving her little friend, Dennis. Um, sometime later, Marie was asked, like, what does Dennis think of you? Like, you're a hero. What what does he think of you and and how courageous you are and how heroic you are? And this is what she said. She said, Dennis doesn't like me anymore because it hurt when I pulled his hair. Gratitude doesn't come naturally, does it? It doesn't come easily. I heard someone once say, if you want to find gratitude, look for it in the dictionary. This story of little Marie and her friend Dennis is is kind of cute. It's kind of funny because they're little kids. But it's not so cute when it happens with adults. It's not so funny when adults act the exact same way. The reality is we are a people who are prone to focus on when people hurt us rather than when people help us. Amen? Amen. We, we, are, we are leaning into when people have offended us. We are quick to judge, quick to hurt, quick to be offended, especially 2017. It's the year of offense to be offended. We, we uh, naturally lean into being offended, but we are very slow to show anybody any amount of gratitude when they've helped us. And so this morning, we're going to do things a little different. As we close our Oscar-worthy series this morning, we're not going to focus on a category necessarily. Like the last three weeks, we've done um, the best supporting role, we've done the best original song, we've done the best original picture, and we've kind of used those as jumping off points to see what Scripture has to say to us in in regards to these these sort of categories and and looking to see what the Holy Spirit would do in our lives kind of based on these themes. But today, we're going to change the rules a little bit. We're not going to focus on a category. Rather, we are going to consider the the thank you speech or the acceptance speech here this morning. So the past week, I've been researching a little bit um, some of the acceptance speeches in in the award ceremonies, like the celebrities, the award ceremonies and those things, and and seeing what some of the best speeches are and and some of the worst speeches. And what I've realized is in looking at these and looking at people's lists for the best and the worst speeches is that 
Um, most often, the worst speeches um, are ones that are filled with sort of disconnected, entitled, self-congratulations, like things like, you guys are so smart to choose me for this award, like I'm the best, sort of, and it just becomes really weird. The worst ones are the, the speeches that um, the actor hijacks the spotlight to make some sort of a self-righteous political or social statement or, or badmouth the president or something like that. Those are just, they're just odd and, and um, ungrateful and just strange. The worst ones um, are, the, are the speeches that focus on the doubters, right? The people who told me I could never do this and so, and, and so this award is like, a, you know, like, like letting them have it and sticking it to them and, and uh, they'll say something about their 8th grade drama teacher who, who said, you know, this isn't for you and it was probably a behavioral issue more than anything and, and so they're just, they're just weird or, or some of those speeches, um, people just get odd and awkward because they don't know how to act in those situations. They're trying to use this um, platform and this spotlight as an opportunity to grow their brand or something like that. And they just, they just get weird. The best ones, however, are very simple. The best ones are filled with heartfelt gratitude. They're filled with joy. They're filled with love. They're filled with appreciation. My favorite speech that I came across was um, one by Cuba Gooding Jr. In 1997, he won the award. He won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor in his role um, in, in the movie Jerry Maguire. And um, I, I have this here, this acceptance speech. I want you to watch this with us real quick. Let's go. <laughs> bit of time so I'm gonna rush and say everybody and you cut away I won't be mad at you Tom said don't forget to thank your wife I will never forget to thank my high school sweetheart and the mother of my children Spencer and Mason I love you Sarah and my my parents who are here Shirley and Cuba's Cuba the first and uh, I, I, God I love you hallelujah thank you father God for putting me through what you put me through but I'm here and I'm Happy. <laughs> um, I just want to, oh, here we go. Okay, uh, the studio, I love you, and Cameron Crowe, and uh, Tom Cruise. I love you, brother. I love you, man. Derek Crowe, Sean Settles, uh, Keith Butler, all my behind-the-scenes crew. Regina King, I love you. You did a great job when we made the movie. Everybody involved with the movie. So good, right? Like, so good. That's how it's done. I mean, full of joy, full of gratitude and appreciation. Rumor has it that that part that it cut to George Foreman, he actually did a backflip on stage. Like, like he was just all in and just so excited. And, and that was sincere and it was genuine and it was authentic and it was awesome, wasn't it? 
Like, like you, can, you could feel the energy in the room rising. Like as his, as his gratitude was growing, you see people like, like those other actors in the crowd and they're like smiling, you know, at first because that's what they do. And then they're, they're hand clapping and then they're getting excited. And, and all the, the energy temperature in the room was just growing and growing and it was magnetic and it was contagious and it was just so, so good. And, and you don't have to know the movie or the actor to see and appreciate and even get chills, yes, about the excitement level and the appreciation, the gratitude in that room. And I love watching that. It's so, so good. It's so much better than people making political statements, right? Come on. It's so good. Gratitude is so infectious and contagious. Forbes published an article several years ago, um, and it was titled, Seven Scientifically Proven Benefits of Gratitude That Will Motivate You to Give Thanks Year-Around. And, and here are the seven benefits that they, that they said um, it, it has. Number one, it says gratitude opens the door for more relationships. It says a grateful person will have more relationships in their life and healthier relationships in their life. If you are grateful, you will have more and healthier relationships. It says number two, gratitude improves physical health. You will be physically healthier if you are a grateful person as opposed to a negative person. So come on, some of you. It is time to step into that world of gratefulness, right? You will be physically healthier. Number three, it says gratitude improves psychological health. It reduces a multitude of toxic emotions ranging from envy and resentment to frustration and regret. Number four, gratitude enhances empathy and reduces aggression. Gratitude reduces aggression. I've talked to, to several people and they're saying, you know what, Pastor Chris, I'm just angry. I feel angry all the time. I'm just mad and I don't know what it is. And it's just kind of boiling underneath and it's there. Uh, and this is saying that, that if you operate in gratitude, if you are a grateful, thankful person, that it will reduce that anger and aggression in your life. Number five, it says grateful people sleep better. How many of you could sleep better at night, right? Gratitude will help you sleep better. That and putting your cell phone will help you sleep better. But, but gratitude is one of those things as well that will help you sleep better. Number six, gratitude improves self-esteem. And I love it when, when we, we read some of these things and, and some of these secular scientific things and, and they really sort of reflect the heart of God. Like, it says, gratitude improves self-esteem. And so this is essentially what it's saying. When you make, or when you take the time to make other people feel good about themselves, you'll feel better about yourself. And that's the heart of God, amen? When we put other people first, when we lift other people up, when, when we tell other people how amazing they are and how special they are and how much they've touched us and blessed us and, and how grateful we are for them, for their character, for their, their, just their life and everything, when we take the time to make other people feel better about themselves, we'll feel better about ourselves. Number seven, it says gratitude increases mental strength. There was a 2003 study published by the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, and it found that gratitude was a major contributor to resilience following the terrorist attacks on 9-11. It says, recognizing all you have to be thankful for, even during the worst times in your life, fosters resilience. When you are, are, are grateful, it increases mental strength, and it increases your capacity to endure difficult things. And I think about this, and I think, 
you know, man, if gratitude has all of these benefits, isn't it a mystery why very few people operate in gratitude? Like, if, if, it, if it really does all of these things, shouldn't, we, shouldn't it be that, that we are, are more naturally inclined to be grateful? Shouldn't we lean into gratitude a lot more often? But, but very rarely is that the case. We're not naturally uh, grateful people. We're not naturally thankful people. Like we said earlier, you want to find gratitude? Look for it in the dictionary because you're not going to find it anywhere else. And so today, I'm not exactly going to preach a message, but I'm going to create an opportunity, an opportunity for us to put gratitude into practice. And so let me give you a warning where we're going, what we're doing. In just a few minutes, um, we're going to ask you to stand to your feet, and then we're going to uh, ask you to have some conversations amongst yourselves. And, and what I'm going to ask is that you, you begin to think, even right now, a cu couple, two, three, four people in this room that you could have a conversation with. Because at the close, we're not going to do an altar call down here. We're not going to close in worship or anything like that. But our closing is going to be a, an opportunity for conversations. Where you look somebody in the eye and you say, I just want to let you know I I'm thankful for you. Thank you for, and then you fill in the blank. Thankful for, you know, lifting me up in this time. Thank you for being there for me. Thank you for looking out for me. Thank you for encouraging me. Whatever it is, um, um, we're going to have these conversations. And I know it's going to be awkward, right? I know it's going to be weird, and I know some of you are like, nah, we're not going there. Uh, we're going there, okay? <laughs> and some of you, you're already feeling like, like your, your hands are already getting sweaty, and you're like, man, this is going to be so uncomfortable, so weird. I, I don't mean to, to create a... a an atmosphere for you to feel weird and uncomfortable, but, but I really feel like this is where the Holy Spirit is leading us today. So be thinking about that, who you're gonna talk to, what you're gonna say, kind of listen to me in the meantime too, because I feel like the Holy Spirit has something for you, but kind of be thinking about that. That's your warning, because it seems like we have forgotten how to say thank you. We do our best to teach our kids whenever somebody gives our kid a sucker or something like that, you know, we'll look down at them, what do you say? You know, and, and they, they kind of... Um, you know, look away, they don't make eye contact, they're, they're really quiet and passive, and they kind of mumble, thank you. And then you look at the adult, you're like, I'm sorry, that's as good as it's going to get, you know? They mumbled, thank you. Um, but the reality is, we as, we as adults, we get weird about this too, don't we? We do. We get awkward in that thank you opportunity. We, we, we get clammy, we get nervous, we don't know what to say, we worry that we're coming across as too, like, like mushy, you know what I mean? Like, like I don't want to like be like all mushy and weird, and I, you know, I, do we hug now, or I don't know what to do, you know? Uh, um, but but we, we can get really weird about this, and so, so today what we're going to do, we're going to try to fight against that lean a little bit by, by creating an opportunity to say thank you, just, just to each other at the end of service. And so there's your warning, get ready, because it's coming. But before we do, I want to look at... Um, a passage of scripture that's very familiar. Many of you have probably heard this preached hundreds of times before, but I want us to consider this. It's Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11. This is what it says. It says, As Jesus continued on towards Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And so at this point in, in history, where Jesus is kind of uh, um, growing in popularity, G the people are knowing who Jesus is. He's a hero. He's a healer. 
Word has spread throughout the region and around the land that, that anywhere Jesus goes and anybody he interacts with, the broken, the hurt, the sick, um, the diseased people, when Jesus comes onto the scene, there is immediately a glimmer of hope because Jesus is there. And in this story and in this situation, it just so happens that Jesus walks by these 10 men with leprosy. You see, for these 10 men, these 10 lepers, they didn't have the means or the ability or the resources to get to Jesus. Um, they'd heard the stories about him, but they, they couldn't travel to a different town to be around Jesus, to get in his path so that they could be a part of his healing crusade. Um, they just weren't able to do that. Their disease um, wouldn't allow them to travel. They, they, they weren't physically able to travel, but, but also they couldn't be around healthy people. It was illegal. It was against the law for them to be around healthy people. The disease was just too aggressive. It was too contagious in nature. And so they had to remain separated and isolated in their, their camps full of people with leprosy. They had no hope. They had no future. They had no potential to get to Jesus. The only hope that these people had, that these 10 men had, was the offhand chance that Jesus would come near them because they couldn't go to Jesus. And so they just had to kind of hope and wait for Jesus to come near them. And so I want us to think about this. In a very real, in a very spiritual sense, this is our condition. This is the human condition. Because the reality is when sin entered the world, we were so spiritually diseased. We were so completely and wholly infected by this sin. And everything we touch um, became infected by sin. Sin was so contagious that, that it affected every relationship. Uh, your, your ability to parent was infected by this sin disease. Your, your um, relationship in marriage was affected by this sin disease. Your, your um, relationships at work was infected by this sin disease. Your thought was infected by this sin disease. And, and it just spread in everything, it was completely and absolutely and utterly contagious. And because this uh, sin disease was, was so complete and so devastating in us, it created this wall of separation between us and God. Because God is clean and we are utterly unclean, it was um, essentially against the law for us to approach God. And so we were completely separated from God. We had no hope. No ability to close that distance. And, and our hope wasn't from us finding the strength to approach God. Our hope doesn't come from us finding the courage to address the sin issue. Our hope doesn't come from us finding the means to get to God or the resources to get to God. Our hope came when God came to us. Amen? And, and this is the essence of the gospel. In all of these messages, no matter what we talk about, no matter what specific topic that we're going to zero in on, I think it's so important for us to see the gospel in this. Our hope only came when Jesus came near enough to us to be able to holler at him from a distance and to watch Jesus give his life in perfect sacrifice on the cross so that we could have access, so that we could have spiritual healing in our heart, so that we could be in relationship again with Jesus. And this is the essence of the gospel. We see this running through every story, every scripture in the Bible. And this is at the core of who we are. Jesus coming near. 
And so this is what's happening on a very micro scale in this story. Jesus is walking by. Hope is coming near. And so these 10 lepers holler at Jesus from a distance because it would be illegal for them to approach Jesus physically. And so they holler out to him, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Essentially, they're saying, Jesus, help. We're hurting. We're dying. We're hopeless. Help. Some of you are here this morning, and that's kind of what you're thinking. Jesus, help. I'm hurting, I'm dying, I'm in a hopeless situation. Jesus, I need your help. I just want you to know, to be encouraged, because Jesus hears every cry of your heart. And so this is how Jesus responds in the scripture. Verse 14, it says, Jesus looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. Go show yourselves to the priests. In that day, when you had this skin disease of leprosy, um, and, and leprosy was quite common then, if you had this disease, You were legally required, like I said, to separate yourself from the rest of society because it was too contagious. They didn't want to affect everybody. And now, if by some miracle uh, you did get better, or by some miracle your body began to fight the disease and and the sores were closing and and all of that stuff, and and you felt like you were getting better, what you would have to do in order to re-enter society is go present yourself to a priest, and the priest would have to look you over, examine your sores, and he would have to give you a clean bill of health. And it was the priest who would determine whether or not you were clean or unclean. And if the priest doesn't um, give you this clean bill of health, then you are not allowed to enter back into society. You can't go back home. You can't go back to the markets. You can't um, hug your little girl, you can't kiss your wife, you can't do any of that until the priest gives you this clean bill of health. On the flip side, if you are are visibly diseased with leprosy, open sores and like fingers falling off and all that other like really bad stuff that goes with leprosy, if you approach a priest um, with the visible signs of leprosy on your body, it would result in some very real condemnation, harassment, physical punishment, possibly even death. And now I think it's really important for us to to examine and take note in this particular story what didn't happen. Okay, think about what didn't happen. When they hollered out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. What didn't happen is that Jesus didn't then approach them. Okay, Jesus didn't close that gap. Jesus didn't touch them. Jesus didn't reach out with his hand and touch them. Jesus didn't preach to them. Jesus didn't encourage them. Jesus didn't pray for them. Jesus didn't give them a promise. Think about this. Jesus didn't give them a promise. Jesus didn't give them a blessing. The only thing that Jesus gave them was direction. The only thing that Jesus gave them was direction. And I think about this, and I think about our church and our lives personally, and I know that sometimes we get frustrated because we can't feel Jesus. It would be nice to feel God. Sometimes, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be nice to, to, when you sit down and pray and when you sit down to read your Bible, you just felt God like you felt all warm and tingly and fuzzy inside and you just felt the presence of God. Um, sometimes we wish we could feel God or we get frustrated that we don't feel God. And, 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 and most of the time, God doesn't always present himself in a way to, so that we can feel him physically. But what he always does is he gives us direction. He points in a direction. 
Sometimes we get frustrated because we want to see God do some amazing things. We want a miracle. We want to see it physically with our eyes. And, and we want to be able to touch it and smell it and hold it. And we want to be able to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus moved in this moment, in this meeting, in this time of prayer. But Jesus doesn't always give us that miracle. What he will do is give us direction. He will always give us direction. We pray, Jesus, bless. Jesus, bless me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, fix me. Jesus, change me. But often his response is just to point in a direction. And so many times we get frustrated that God doesn't move in our lives and he doesn't respond to our prayers, but we're missing the fact that he is pointing the way and offering direction. Too many times we hear God say, um, go away. That's what we hear God saying, go away. And that's what these 10 lepers could have heard when um, they were hollering out to Jesus. Jesus, have mercy on us. And he says, go show yourselves to the priests. What they could have heard was, go away. But what Jesus was saying to them and what the Holy Spirit says to us isn't go away, but he's saying, go that way. He's saying, go that way. I want you to go down that road. I want you to go in that direction. I'm not telling you to go away. I want you to go that way. And God's power is often found down the path he directs us towards. Listen, I'll say it again because you missed it. God's power is often found down the path that he directs us towards. And, and we're so scared to move because we need God to do something in us before we move. But, but oftentimes the miracle will be down the path. And he doesn't always give us a promise first. He just says, go this way. I have, this is the path for you. He doesn't always give us the miracle first. He doesn't always encourage us first or bless us first. He just says, that's the path that I want you to walk down. If you want to see God move in your life, go where God directs. If you follow Jesus, there will always be a moment that the Holy Spirit will direct your steps to a strange and uncomfortable place. He won't always do his work before you take a step. God doesn't always move first. He will direct your steps. He will guide your path. And he will say, I want you to move. And then he will sit back and wait. We don't always know what's going to happen down that road. We don't always know what's coming. There is, there is a possibility that if we walk down this road, we can't do this on our own. We have the potential to look silly or foolish down there, but that's the direction that Jesus has pointed, and so I have to have the courage, the strength, and the obedience to take a step. Sometimes we don't know what's going to happen. The only thing that we know is that's the direction that God pointed, and so that's the direction that I'm going to go. Jesus never says go that way, but he oft, or Jesus never says go away, but he often says go that way. Verse 14, and as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. And this is a spot where the story could have just stopped. At this moment, we could just stop everything. We could talk about the power of Jesus. We could talk about the rewards of risky obedience because it would have been dangerous for them to approach the priest without being healed. And, and their faithfulness made them whole. And, um, and we could have celebrated the fact that these people had leprosy. And, and once they took those steps of obedience, God showed up in an amazing way and he healed them and cleansed them. And, and his powerful hand showed up in their lives and they were completely refreshed and restored. And we could talk about the 
the scabs that closed up and the fingers that grew back and, and, and all of this goodness of God. We could focus on the fact that um, these men were able to go back home and kiss their wives and, and hold their little girls and tuck them in at night and play merry-go-round and patty cake and all of this stuff about restored relationship and, and everything else and talk about Jesus, the healer and the restorer and God is so good. And, and it would be impossible for us, no matter how much time we spent on this, to overemphasize the magnitude of this miracle. It was life-changing. These 10 lepers in a moment with Jesus, that their lives on earth were changed forever in this one encounter. And that's where we could stop, that's where we could focus, and that's where Jesus could kind of spend his time like relating this message to us. But, but it doesn't stop there, it takes a turn. It, it, it changes course there in um, verse 15. Because in verse 15 begins the thank you speech. It says this, one of them, remember there were 12 that were healed, but one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Verse 17, Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go, your faith has healed you. Stand up. Go, your faith has healed you. This one man, he saw when he was walking to the priest, he saw that the sores were healed. He knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was healed. So he runs back before he gets the clean bill of health. He falls down at Jesus' feet. He doesn't need any priest to tell him he's whole. He knows that he's healed. And so he, he falls down at Jesus' feet and he's saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And Jesus says, look, where's your friends? Where's everybody else? Like, what happened here? I mean, didn't I heal 10 people? Like, where's, uh, you know, stand up. Your faith has healed you. And there are two things that I want you to see in this. There are just two, two like, thoughts that, that I want you to consider. Number one is this. Jesus was bothered by their lack of gratitude. Jesus was bothered by their lack of gratitude. And I think whenever like, Jesus gets frustrated or bothered or upset or something rubs him the wrong way, I think it's important for us to listen and pay attention to those things, don't you? Jesus is bothered by their lack of gratitude. And it seems like our assumption is always that we just view Jesus as kind of the guy that, that is just happy to do it, Right? That Jesus is the kind of guy that, that would say, hey, you know what? No thanks is necessary. You don't have to spend your time. You don't have to bother coming back and thanking me. You know what? I'm just pleased to be of service. I, it's just a blessing for me to be a blessing for you. So you don't have to come and thank me. You don't have to show gratitude or appreciation. Go on, kid. Have a good time. Happy to do it. You know, sort of thing. And just, and just be done with it. And we, we kind of think that that's who Jesus is. And I think those, those are the assumptions that we place on God. And, and really, we, we kind of convince ourselves to assume that everybody is like this. And we do this so that we don't have to have awkward thank you conversations with other people. And so we just kind of hope that, that they're the kind of person who just knows. We don't have to say thank you. We don't have to say I'm grateful. They, just, they know, right? I mean, we don't have to make a big deal out of it, but thank you. you know? I, I mean, Jesus obviously knows that they're grateful for healing them and restoring everything in their life. Like, like Jesus knows, but the reality is Jesus is bothered by their lack of gratitude. He's bothered by the fact that 
Even if they thought it, they didn't say it. Jesus is bothered like, by this. He says, hey, where's everybody else? Is the only one that would come back and say, thank you, this foreigner, this outsider? Like, where's, where's everybody else? And I think that it's important for us to stop saying things like, look, no thanks necessary, don't worry about it. Because gratitude is absolutely and always necessary. If we're grateful and we're thankful, we have to say it. We have to say it. Number two, gratitude opened the door for a greater blessing. Gratitude opened the door for a greater blessing. Jesus tells him, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Worship team, you guys can come. And so when, when Jesus says your faith has healed you, we have to answer a couple questions. Does this mean that the other nine men are ungrateful, or the other nine ungrateful men, does it mean that they lost their miracle? I don't think so. We, we don't get any indication. It does, does it mean that Jesus took the healing back? Like he's thinking, like, listen, you ungrateful little jerks. If you're not going to come back and say thankful, it's going to take you two minutes to come back and say thank you. If you're not going to do that, then I'm just going to take this healing back. Boom, leprosy again. That'll teach you. Like, it doesn't seem that that's what Jesus is doing. All 10 men were healed, and Jesus confirms it when he says to the guy who came back, didn't I heal 10 men? So Jesus confirms that all of them were healed. You see, the miracle wasn't conditional on their gratitude. It was conditional on their obedience, right? The miracle happened not after they said thank you, but after they took their step. And, and if they would have stayed in one place, I don't believe the miracle would have happened. But Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. And on the way, after they started walking towards the priest, then they received their miracle. So, so the cleansing, the miracle, the wholeness, the, the, the healing wasn't conditional upon their gratitude. It was conditional upon their obedience. But... This one man that came back, this one man that displays this awesome gratitude, the door was open for him to receive something even greater than his physical healing. Something even greater. And I want you to see how this says this in the King James Version. It makes so much sense in, in the King James. Luke chapter 17, verse 19 said this. It's the same verse. It said, and he said unto him, this man who came back and, and laid at his feet and said, thank you. He said unto him, arise, go thy way, Thy faith hath made thee whole. Your faith has made you whole. It didn't just heal your physical body. But Jesus was doing something spiritually in him. Jesus was doing something at a soul level in him. Your faith did more than heal you. It made you whole. Complete. All 10 men were healed, but only one man was made whole. The only difference was that this one man came back and said thank you. It's the only difference. Gratitude opened the door for a far greater blessing. Gratitude opened the door for him to receive a blessing that was going to extend beyond his life on earth. Gratitude didn't just make him better, it made him whole. So here's how we're going to close this service today. I want everybody to stand to your feet all across this place. And I want us to begin to operate in a spirit of gratitude and thankfulness. Not just to God, but to each other. And so you guys go ahead and begin to play. And, and we're going to do this first. If everybody could just bow your heads, close your eyes all across this place. We're going to take one minute. 
and we're just going to express our gratitude towards God. Just in one minute, all across this place, it, it, heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're comfortable, go ahead and raise your hands in this moment. And all across this place, we're just going to tell God thank you for who he is and what he's done in our life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Tell him what you're thankful for, whether it's relationships or healing. Thank you, Jesus. 45 more seconds. We're just going to tell God thank you all across this place. Just tell him thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 20 more seconds. Let's just tell him thank you. You got lots to be grateful for. Lots to be grateful for. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now we're going to take it another step. We're going to take that next uncomfortable step because I believe that it's time for us as the body of Christ to operate in a spirit of gratitude and thankfulness, not just to God, but to each other. I came across this the other day. It was a, a journal entry from Matthew Henry. He was a famous scholar and a, and a commentarian. He had earlier that day been robbed and his wallet stolen. And this is what he writes in his journal. He says, let me be thankful first because I was never robbed before. He says, let me be thankful second because although they took my wallet, they did not take my life. Let me be thankful third because although they took my all, it was not much. And let me be thankful fourth because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. We all have reason to be thankful for. Sometimes we just got to look for it. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you would like to connect with us or if you want more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com.